This is Under the Dome. On today's episode, we're taking a look at what's happening in North Carolina politics for the week of Monday, February 15th. Hello, and welcome to Under the Dome. For the News and Observer and NC Insider, I'm Will Doran. You're probably listening to this on Tuesday, February 16th, although maybe we have some Monday listeners who are taking a break from their traditional President's Day celebrations. What do you do for President's Day? Do you grill out, maybe recite your favorite Federalist papers? Um, I know some people who aren't going to be celebrating on Monday night are state legislators who have cut their vacation short and scheduled a 7 p.m. voting session Monday that is likely going to set up a showdown with Governor Roy Cooper later on in the week. So I'm here to take a look ahead at this coming week in North Carolina politics and tell you what you need to know as the legislature keeps moving forward on, what else? COVID stuff. School reopening is the big topic, but it's not just that. We just got new budget numbers that are actually much better than what officials had been predicting. And maybe we'll even see a bill on legalizing weed after a new poll last week found large support for medical marijuana, even among Republican voters. But first, if you hear me call this podcast Domecast instead of Under the Dome, you'll have to please forgive me. We're in the middle of some changes over here. That includes changing our name to Under the Dome. But really, it's more about making some improvements based on feedback that you, our listeners, sent our way. So thanks for that. And please let us know what you think now as we shift to bringing you more frequent but shorter episodes once on Monday and again on Friday. So let's get back to your Monday episode, looking at the week ahead. The votes scheduled for Monday night are on a school reopening bill. This one has a couple different layers of holdups, as you might expect with a bill that is going to affect every corner of the state and a large chunk of the population. The Senate and House both want to require all the schools statewide to offer parents the option of in-person classes, but the two chambers don't agree on some of the finer details. So after they were unable to figure out a compromise last week, they scheduled Monday's votes to come back and try to hash it out. But no matter what they come up with the end, the governor doesn't appear to agree with the big picture philosophy behind either version of this bill. My colleague Don Vaughn reported last week that Cooper is likely to veto the bill whenever it does pass, and I don't think anything has changed there. Now, both Governor Cooper, a Democrat, and the Republican leaders at the legislature have said that they'd like schools to begin reopening. But there's a big divide over whether that should be optional or mandatory. And it's the reverse of the stereotypical liberal versus conservative divide on government and federalism, where you usually expect Democrats to favor a uniform, centralized approach, while you expect Republicans to favor a more decentralized local approach. This time, it's Republicans who say the state should require every school to go along with the reopening plan, while you have Democrats saying that this one-size-fits-all approach doesn't work and that local officials should be able to make their own decisions. Keen-eyed observers might remember that this is the opposite of where we were last spring with business closures, where you had Democrats saying the restrictions should be statewide, but Republicans were saying the one-size-fits-all approach was counterproductive. Who says politicians never change their mind, right? Now, last Thursday in the House, Representative John Bradford, a Republican from Mecklenburg County, laid out the arguments for why Republicans think schools should be reopening all around the state— Let's take a moment and listen to part of his speech on the House floor. The governor has said that he wants to reopen schools. The Biden administration has said they'd like to reopen schools. I think this legislation really delivers on that shared priority. Um, And so that is why we're bringing this bill for you today. Um, 
Just know that school closures are not just an education crisis. They truly represent um, economic and mental health crises that are hurting struggling families across North Carolina. Uh, closed classrooms hurt the most vulnerable, low-income students the most. Many affluent students are not facing the same challenges faced by the less advantaged students. Special education st students are hit particularly hard by school closures. Safely reopening schools is very important to the most at-risk children. This legislation guarantees that families with special needs uh, allow their children to return to the classroom if the parents so choose. As you just heard, he made some points you wouldn't be surprised to hear Democrats making too. And in the end, several Democrats did vote in favor of the bill, along with all the Republicans. It passed the House 74 to 44. That's important because in order to override a veto from the governor, legislators need a 60% supermajority. In the House, that's 72 votes. So the fact that it passed with 74 votes shouldn't go unnoted. Now, we did see instances last year where a few Democrats voted for a bill originally, but then after Cooper vetoed it, they voted against it so that they would stand with him when it really counted. Maybe that happens with this bill, maybe not, but it's something that we will be keeping a close eye on if it even does come down to that. Obviously, <laughs> the bill hasn't even passed yet, let alone gone to Cooper's desk for his uh, his decision, so we don't know if it'll end up getting vetoed or not. Um, but similarly in the Senate, you do need 30 votes to override a veto. The most recent version of the school reopening bill that passed there passed with a vote of 29 to 15, uh, with six people not voting. One thing that came up last week and that might come up again this week, especially as the two chambers negotiate this final version of the bill, is how proposed changes to it get treated. Last Thursday, House Speaker Tim Moore said that for all the proposed amendments to the bill, he decided that the House wouldn't vote on them as usual, with members pressing their buttons and publicly recording their stance. Instead, he put each of the amendments up to what's called a voice vote, where members yell out I or no, and then he decides which side won. Uh, here's a little taste of what that sounds like. Further debate on the amendment. If not, the question for the House is the adoption of Amendment A5. Those in favor will say aye. Those opposed, no. In the opinion of the chair, the no's have it. The no's do have it, and the amendment fails. Democrats were not pleased with that. As you might imagine, the top Republican leader did not think that he heard enough people shouting for any of the Democrats' changes to be added to the bill. That's probably the outcome that would have happened anyway, even if there had been real votes, but some Democrats, like Wake County Representative Terrence Everett, took exception to those tactics. He tweeted, quote, In a not-so-shocking turn of events, none of the Democratic amendments passed on voice vote. They've finally given up all pretense about genuine debate. End quote. Now, I don't know if this will matter in the end, but if it does come down to a scenario where this bill becoming law or not depends on just a couple Democrats deciding if they're going to side with Governor Cooper or their GOP colleagues, maybe. Other than this school reopening debate, there's not a whole lot on the legislative calendar this week, or at least not when I'm recording this. But that doesn't mean that there's not more on our radar. Like I mentioned at the top of the podcast, last week we got new budget numbers that came as a pleasant surprise for a lot of people. Last May, I wrote an article quoting Senate Leader Phil Berger, who said that because of coronavirus, state budget officials were anticipating as much as a $4 billion budget hole. Our state budget is around $25 billion, so obviously $4 billion would be a big piece of that. But then last week, Governor Cooper's office announced that the state budget's outlook is actually around 
$4.1 billion, better than it had been during that forecast last May when I wrote that article. So it seems like despite everything that happened in 2020, the state's revenues are more or less the same as they were before COVID. Maybe that's an oversimplification of the numbers. We're going to keep digging into the details, but regardless, it does seem like very good news. The state legislature is just about to start writing the state budgets for the next two years, which they need to finish up this spring or early summer. So I'm sure there are a lot of people happy to hear that our fiscal health is not as bad as people were predicting nine or ten months ago. Speaking of money, I'm curious to see whether any marijuana legalization bills get filed this week. There was a poll from Elon University last week that found a whopping 73% of North Carolinians would support medical marijuana, with only 18% of people opposed. I can't think of any other hot-button issue with that much support. I mean, even in 2018, when we had a feel-good constitutional amendment on the ballot to just reiterate how much we love hunting and fishing, even that only passed with 57%. So 73% is pretty uh, pretty notable. Um, and now in other states that have legalized weed, you see them tax the heck out of it, which obviously helps the state's bottom line, something that you know all of our legislators are thinking about right now. I know that's an argument that advocates have been making to GOP lawmakers, as well as pointing out the state government cost savings that would come from you know having fewer people in court, in jail, in prison, etc., We've seen marijuana bills in the past go nowhere, but this year, you know, if supporters can get a Republican lawmaker on board, maybe that changes. Who knows? I asked Senator Berger for comment after that poll came out, and he declined to comment on the issue one way or the other. Uh, So I think we'll just have to wait and see. But I wouldn't be surprised if advocates did file one or more bills pretty soon trying to build on the momentum from that poll. Um, my story about it last week even got retweeted by Florida Congressman Matt Gates, one of the most high-profile Republicans in D.C. Um, Gates has previously said that he wants to end the federal prohibition on marijuana. So it's not like this isn't an issue without some bipartisan support among politicians and not just voters. But, of course, Matt Gates does not get a vote in the North Carolina General Assembly, so we will have to wait and see if a more local Republican decides to take up the cause here. With that, I think y'all know everything I do about what may or may not be happening in North Carolina politics this week. Uh, But one thing I can always guarantee is there will be at least a couple things that come up out of the blue. So if you do know about something, make sure to send your tips our way. For more from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider, and sign up for her weekly political newsletter, also called Under the Dome, at newsobserver.com newsletters. Thanks for listening. <laughs>